0: You're listening to WJMSradio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up show starts right now.
1: And good afternoon and welcome to Fired Up right here on WJMS Radio. This is Steve. I'm your host each week. And we talk about the political machine going on here in the United States. Uh, We got a lot to cover today, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, First, as always, let's do the numbers that we do in terms of what's going on with the coronavirus, and we've got 3.77 million people who uh, have tested positive for the disease, and we're over 140,000 people who have perished from the disease, so it continues to be an ongoing scourge running across our country and something that we need to be concerned and uh, not just worried about, but actively doing what we need to do in order to keep ourselves, our families, and our communities safe. Uh, you know, We talk about this each week, and it's the same things. We need to make sure that we are wearing our masks, that we are washing our hands, that we are practicing the distance that we need to practice, and that we are avoiding large numbers of people who aren't following those protocols to try and keep the spread of the disease down. A couple of things of note, in recent weeks there's been a marked upturn in the number of cases involving young people. Uh, Early on there were some discussions about how young people were less affected by the coronavirus COVID-19. Well it is proving that they are capable of contracting the disease and while it's true that in many cases they don't get it as severely as older and more at risk population segments do. However, they are getting it and the more reckless they act, the larger the numbers that pick up the virus. So, you know, it, it goes without saying that we need to do what the experts are telling us to do. Uh, it, it isn't a matter of, you know, it's an inconvenience. It isn't a matter of it's making the virus worse. Uh, it's a matter of stopping this virus, slowing the growth, and protecting our loved ones in our community. So, you know, let, let's take that to heart, all right? Let's, let's make that part of what we just have to do in this, this thing we call new normal. All right, I want to move on a little bit. Uh, we have some, some news, uh, some sad news that uh, came out uh, on Friday and Saturday of this past week. Uh, and, you know, on this show each week, we talk about you know, being focused and being educated, and we have a call to action and things that we need to do. Well, this this past Friday, we lost two legends of the civil rights movement of the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, you know, one everybody has probably heard of, and that was uh, Representative John Lewis of Georgia. The other is someone you may not have heard of but also played a key and critical role in the launch and start and the foundation of the Civil Rights Movement in Tennessee and other areas in the South. Uh, and I'll, I'll start with, with him. His name was Reverend Cordy Tyndall, also known as C.T. Vivian, and he passed away this past Friday at the age of 95. Uh, passed away from natural causes. Reverend Tyndall. Played a key role in the early days of the civil rights movement and the protest movement that has served kind of as the model and foundation for you know the current uh, protest and equal equal rights and protections movements that are going on in this country. He participated in his first nonviolent protest, a lunch counter sit-in in Peoria, Illinois, way back in 1947. Uh, He had a strong religious upbringing and he felt called to a life in ministry and he used his ministry and he used his energy uh, to push forward civil rights actions uh, in the south and, and southern part of the central part of the country. He was part of the founders of the Nashville Christian Leadership Conference affiliate of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Uh, the group helped organize the first sit-ins and civil rights marches. 1965, became director of national affiliates for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or SCLC as it was called, and his focus was on voter registration, which was a big issue back in the day. Back then, just as now, there was a big effort by the political machines to suppress uh, votes in the South. Uh, they realized that, you know, if you know more black people and more poor people and more disenfranchised people were able to exercise their right to vote, it served as a severe threat to their hold on power and, and leadership in the country. Well, Reverend Vivian was key in in fighting that effort. Uh, he said uh, once he's quoted as saying, we will register to vote because as citizens of the United States we have the right to do it. He made that statement and was assaulted and beaten by a, a person nearby uh, until he was his face was bloodied. And what happened is this was caught on Television cameras and broadcast as part of the nightly news, and much as many of the the actions and events of the civil rights movement in the 60s, uh, it was kind of the dawn of the age of you know nightly news covering these events in near real time, and you saw what was being done with you know police departments using fire hoses and you know nightsticks and dogs and all of these. Terrorize, to terrorize, to harass, to injure, uh, and even to kill many of the people who were protesting for equal access to the right to vote in this country. Um, in the late 1970s, Reverend Vivian founded the National Anti-Klan Network, an anti-racism organization that focused on monitoring the Ku Klux Klan. Soon after it was founded, however, the name and direction changed because it became clear that the issue was bigger than just the Klan, uh, he is quoted as saying. We called it the Center for Democratic Renewal because the whole culture had to be renewed if it truly was going to be a democratic one. And that's quoting him again. So Reverend Vivian was one of the early soldiers in the civil rights struggle in this country. Uh, In 2013, President Barack Obama awarded him the highest civilian honor in the nation, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and you know, it, it was well earned and well deserved. Uh, he was born on July 30th, 1924. Uh, as I said, he passed away from natural causes on Friday. He was 95 years old. Uh, the other loss that the movement for people's rights and civil rights Uh, in this country suffered this past weekend was we lost uh, Congressional Representative John Robert Lewis. Congressman Lewis served as the Congressman for Atlanta in Georgia. And, you know, he was a towering figure in the House of Representatives. He was often cited as being the conscience of the House of Representatives. And I can personally, you know, r- remember seeing speeches uh, within the last few years of Congressman Lewis, even as, as he was beginning to fight his battle against the pancreatic cancer that ultimately took his life. And you couldn't miss his voice uh, when he was on the floor of the House uh, arguing, you know, for a particular bill or arguing against uh, some opposition to, you know, a, an effort that would aid and assist, you know, poor and disenfranchised people in this country. His spirit was indomitable. Uh, for, for a gentleman of his age, he was capable of bringing so much fire and energy to the, the battle and to the discussions going on in the House of Representatives. His, his loss is something that is going to affect a lot of people and it will be a long time, if ever, that we find another of his caliber to lead us. Representative Lewis served in the House for more than 30 years, but his service to the community didn't start there. As a young man, he was deeply involved in the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, He was part of the first march uh, attempt across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Alabama and was part of the crowd that was overrun by the police and National Guard at the time and actually received a very severe beating uh, to, to his, his body and, and you know, uh, even blows to the head that uh, gave him a skull fracture. Um, but that did not stop or deter him. He came back and continued the fight and then took the fight to the House of Representatives when he won election to the seat in Atlanta's 5th District and it was from that seat as a you know representative in the United States House of Representatives that he elevated his fight for freedom and rights for people who were denied those by the powers that be Uh, he was a tireless tireless leader in all efforts that involved, you know, maintaining the rights that we have. Uh, He was working very diligently right up until the time of of his his death on, you know, getting new legislation pushed forward to repair the the wounds that were dealt to the Voting Rights Act um, by the Supreme Court and by the Republican Party uh, a few years ago. And Representative Lewis was always at the center of the discussion and the debate on things that impacted the civil rights, the voting rights, and you know all elements of the human rights issues that were facing people of color and disenfranchised here in this country. So you know, this, this week we, we mourn the passing of these two icons of the civil rights movement. I strongly encourage you to, you know, look them up, Reverend C.T. Vivian, V-I-V-I-A-N, and Representative John Lewis, and read their writings, listen to their speeches, you know, follow what they were doing. They set an example that lives and, and is strong to this very day, and it's something that we need to make sure that we keep a hold of. Because they were the pioneers. They're the ones shining the light on the path that we're walking right now. So, you know, we wish them, you know, Godspeed. We send our heartfelt condolences to their families, to their friends, to their constituents, to everybody whose life they touched. Uh, as, as we said, you know, two of the icons of the movement, uh, we will n- likely not see their like again. And it must be said, you know, it, it is in the spirit of Reverend Vivian and Representative Lewis that it, it's on us. It, it is tasked to us to continue the work that they started, that they pioneered, and that they showed us the direction we need to go. We, as the you know voters in this country, we need to make sure that we are holding up our end of the deal to guarantee everyone's right to vote you know whichever party you belong to Uh, we need to stand up and and be counted for fair treatment of our people by law enforcement as well as by local state and federal legislators and government we need to make sure that we continue the struggle that they so valiantly fought for so many years and you know that that their spirit their memory uh, really serves us as a strength upon which we can draw in order to continue to move because of equal rights and equal access to uh, all people in this country regardless of you know politics gender race whatever and you know just make sure that you know their message is not lost so you know to the young people out there uh these are the people who shaped the foundation upon which your organizations now are are working and protesting and voicing their opinions and all of that are you know are standing on. They are the shoulders of the giants that we all stand on as we move forward in the struggle. So let's keep their spirit alive and let's keep making sure that we do what they have told us to do, what they have directed us to do, what they have led us to do. All right, in, in other news, I came across, there was an editorial written on the Hollywood Insider by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a, a Hall of Fame basketball player, uh, outspoken uh, civil rights activist and people's rights activist. He wrote an editorial on the 14th of July uh, regarding you know the recent incidents of you know anti-semitic tweets and posts from sports and entertainment celebrities uh, who are just creating a very troubling time and bringing a lot of, of heat and pressure to the black lives matter movement as well as other movements who are working for you know equal rights so I want to I want to kind of read some excerpts from it. As I said, you can look it up. It was written, it was posted on uh, July 14th. Uh, so you can look up. It's titled, uh, Where is the Outrage Over Anti Semitism in Sports and Hollywood? He starts off by saying, and I quote, Recent incidents of anti Semitic tweets and posts from sports entertainment celebrities are a very troubling omen for the future of the Black Lives Matter movement, but so too is the shocking lack of massive indignation. Given the wokefulness of, in Hollywood and the sports world, we expected more passionate public outrage. What we got was a shrug of meh-rage. When reading the dark, squishy entrails of popular culture, meh-range is, in the face of sustained prejudice, is an indisputable sign of coming apathy to all forms of social justice. After all, if it's okay to discriminate against one group of people by calling out cultural stereotypes without much pushback, it must be okay to do the same to others. Illogic begets illogic. And um, he goes on to to say how in, in June uh, there was just an, an outburst of uh, Anti-Semitism. When performer Chelsea Handler, herself Jewish, posted videos of Minister Louis Farrakhan to her 3.9 million followers, that means almost 4 million people received a subliminal message that even some Jews thinking being anti-Jewish is justified. So he goes on in the in the uh, op-ed, while you know some of the above have apologized, Deshaun Jackson, Stephen Jackson. Chelsea Handler, while others continue to defiantly marinate in their own prejudice, their arrogant and irrational response to accusations of anti-Semitism, rather than dissuade us, actually confirmed people's worst opinions. You know, Ice Cube's response was remorseless. What if I was just pro-black? You know, this is the truth, brother. I didn't lie on anyone. I didn't say I was anti anybody. Don't believe the hype. So in his in his article, you know Jabbar's is going, you know, into the the lack of pushback that celebrities and sports figures uh, often get, whether it's from the media or from the fans over statements they make, which you know run the, the gamut from being you know, you know mildly offensive to being patently wrong. It it really does play out something that that we need to make sure that we are watchful for, that we are, we are active in denying and denouncing these, you know, these racist sentiments from our own people toward others. Uh, it's hard for one group to call foul on another group for you know, being racist when we continue to support members of our own who are equally you know, as, as flawed. You know, the, the, the op-ed ends, and, and I'll, I'll quote it here. The lesson never changes. So why is it so hard for some people to learn? No one is free until everyone is free. As Martin Luther King Jr. explained, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. So let's act like it. If we're going to be outraged by injustice, let's be outraged by injustice against anyone. And I, I have to agree with that last point. You know, we, we can't point the finger at one group when we don't have our own house in order. You know, we need to, to self-police. We need to make sure that we are fact-checking and, and correcting individuals within our own community who are saying things that undermine the message that we are trying to put forward, uh, you know, messages about equality and about rights and about racism and all of these other things that's, that work against us, it does no good if we are promoting those same types of, of memes and tones and images uh, out of our own community. So you know, something we need to, to take up and you know, incorporate into our struggle is the commitment to make sure that we are keeping our own house clean. You know, I guess the the best uh, conclusion on on this segment would be to quote, you know, uh, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. You know, we need to make sure that we are, you know, clear on our message, on our content, and that everybody is on board with us before we can start accusing and pointing fingers at others. We'll, we'll wrap this first segment here. Let's take our break. When we come back after the break, uh, we'll take up some more issues of the day. You're listening to Fire It Up. This is Steve. We'll be right back in a few moments.
0: Young John Lewis, you're so full of passion. In your lifetime, you will be arrested 45 times in your mission to help redeem the soul of America. In 1956, when you were only 16 years old, you and some of your brothers and sisters and first cousins went down to the public library, trying to get library cards, trying to check out some books. And you were told by the librarian that the library is for whites only, not for colors. I said to you now, when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have a moral obligation to continue to speak up, to speak out. You became so inspired by Dr. King and Rosa Parks that you got involved in the civil rights movement. Something touched you and suggested that you write a letter to Dr. King. You didn't tell your teachers, you didn't tell your mother and your father. Dr. King wrote you back and invited you to come to Montgomery. In the meantime, you have been admitted a little school in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was there that you got involved in the sit-in. You would be sitting there in an orderly, peaceful, non-violent fashion, and someone would come up and spit on you. Or put a light, a cigarette down your back, pour hot water, hot coffee, hot chocolate on you. <laughs> You got arrested the first time, and you felt so free. You felt liberated. You felt like you had crossed over. Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty, we are free at last! You probably will never believe it, but the boy from Troy, as Dr. King used to call you, will become the embodiment of nonviolence in America. Up, for we cannot stop, and we will not and cannot be patient. Two years after you speak at the march on Washington, you will see the face of death leading the march for voting across the and Bridge in Selma. A are marching today from Selma to Montgomery. We are marching to our state capital to dramatize to our nation and to the world our determination to win first-class citizenship.
1: Troopers here advanced toward the group.
0: You were beaten on that bridge. You were left bloody. We thought you were going to die. But you would make it. You would live to see your mother and father cast their first votes. The change we need doesn't come from Washington. Change comes to Washington. You'll also live to see this segregated nation you live in. Still an African-American president and his family to the White House. And guess what? Guess what, young John? That's some divine providence as it is to send a message down through the ages, that man will be nominated on the 45th anniversary of the March on Washington. And all of those signs that you saw as a little child that said white men, colored men, white women, colored women, those signs are gone. And the only places you will see those signs today will be in a book. In a museum. On a video. John, thank you for going to the library with your brothers, your sisters, and cousins. You were denied a library card. You were sad. But one day, you have been elected to the Congress. You wrote a book called Walking with the Wind. And the same library invited you to come back for a book signing where blacks and white citizens showed up. And after the book signing, they gave you a library card. believe as Dr. King and A. Philip Randolph and others taught you that we're one people and it doesn't matter whether we're black or white Latino, Asian American or Native American that maybe our foremothers and our forefathers all came here in different ships but we're all in the same boat now. John, you understood the words of Dr. King when he said we must learn to live together as brothers and sisters. If not, we will perish as fools.
1: Rest in peace, Representative John Lewis, and thank you, and God bless you. And welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to Fired Up. This is Steve. I'm your host each week right here in Uh, WJMSradio.com. Before we get into the second segment, I want to give a shout out to our station here on WJMS. Uh, Over the weekend, specifically on Saturday, uh, I participated along with many other of the show hosts and uh, members of the WJMS family in the Lung Force 2020 virtual walk. The event is organized and run by the American Lung Association each year. However, this year, because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the need for distancing and, and other precautions, the work was at the walk was actually done virtually with people logged in and participating from you know, their home locations or other local locations where it was uh, safe and practical for them to gather and walk. And they broadcast or transmitted or or live streamed their participation to the event. And WJMS was the media outlet for the event and, uh, if I must say, did a masterful job in bringing the the event to life and connecting everyone and getting the information out. Uh, Our owner and founder and Ms. CEO Jamie conducted numerous interviews and has put together a package of those interviews. Which, if you go to the podcast site, uh, you can uh, find it there. It's listed under her show, Sound Off, and uh, it, it's a really good listen. It goes into the details of, of why the uh, Lung Forest Walk occurs each year. And, you know, the, the reasons, just briefly, Uh, that they are doing this now, uh, given the current situation in our country, they're also adding in efforts to to fund finding a vaccine and cure for COVID-19. But just to be aware, lung cancer is the number one cancer killer of women and men in the country. More than 15 people in the United States suffer from COPD, and it's the third leading cause of death by disease. Uh, over 26 million Americans have asthma including 6.1 million children and more than 35 million Americans are currently living with a chronic lung disease. So you know the, the awareness of you know lung diseases uh, including cancer, uh, COPD and uh, after effects and effects from coronavirus COVID-19 uh, there is, is much work to do. Uh, you can still support it if you go to the WJMS.com website, uh, click on the you know, turquoise t- takeover link, and that will take you to the page where you c- you're still able to donate uh, to the cause. So you know, thank you to Jamie and the WJMS team for, for putting all this together and serving as the glue that held it together. Uh, great job. And, you know, I was very pleased to be able to do my little part and do my walk, uh, in support of, uh, the lung cancer efforts and the lung force. So, outstanding work, uh, way to go, Jams. All right, uh, getting back into our second segment, um, wanted to cover a a couple of things and, you know, preface it by saying, uh, over the weekend, I, I had an opportunity to reconnect with a longtime friend of mine uh, from the Massachusetts area. And we had a, a lengthy talk and you know, getting caught up and everything. And of course, the, the subject rolled around to discussions of the impacts that COVID-19 was having on our lives. And you know I, I got an earful from him with uh, information that uh, really just uh, had me sit back and listen and it, it got me to thinking some of the points that he was bringing up uh, whether they were political or related to COVID uh, I, I totally and wholeheartedly agreed with but there were others that made me sit back and and think in some detail after we concluded our call and uh, particularly uh, he had uh, some, some differing, and we had some differing views on, you know, where the truth is with regard to COVID and with regard to other uh, political uh, goings on in the current time. And it, it made me think and uh, really had me sit down and spend a good deal of time giving some consideration to this thought of the truth. And, you know where exactly does the truth come from? Uh, two groups of people, and I've talked about this on the show before, two groups of people from differing viewpoints can discuss the same object in the middle and come to radically different uh, opinions about what that object is or what it means based on their their own individual points of view and perspective and you know, it it can get so convoluted that you ultimately end up losing where the truth is, and it got me checking into this this thing of fact checkers and fact checking, and you know I, I did some research and you know looked at some websites from some of the the larger fact check organizations, uh, you know Politico, uh, factcheck.org, uh, Snopes, and others, and uh, found this excerpt from an article. From a group called the uh, Freedom Articles website. Um, now, I don't 100% agree with their perspective, but like I tell you, you have to look at all sides because you can oftentimes find, you know, the the nuggets of truth uh, embedded in the material if you dig deep enough and dig wide enough to find it. So I just want to read an excerpt from one of the things they were saying about fact-check organizations in general. You know, quoting, quoting their article, uh, it, it's not about left versus right. It's about free speech versus censorship. Some commentators and journalists are making this uh, issue into a left versus right affair, claiming that fact-checkers are left, liberal, or progressive in their political leanings. While it's true that some uh, are, you know, funded by leftist movements, the whole issue is not really about left versus right. It's about free speech versus censorship. The fact checkers will, of course, have all sorts of biases in their viewpoints, which is why all opinions need to be fully aired so that the truth can rise to the surface. Imagine if everyone looked at every Internet story, from the MSM to uh, alternative media alike, and asked with a critical eye where's your evidence and what are your sources. There would be no need for fact checkers because every reader would become a fact checker. It would also destroy government lies right from the start you know as in you know the Russians are hacking us or the Zika virus will kill you because they would never get a chance to take off. The only way out of this is through education. The only way people can know the truth is to read widely inform themselves about the issues, discuss it over and over, get new perspectives, test things out in their own experience, and make up their own mind. Blocking news stories and alternative perspectives will only hamper this, but then censorship is the whole point of this exercise. Yes, hoax stories are annoying and clickbait headlines are irritating, but at some point, you have to trust that readers will begin to see through that crap and consciously choose which sites to read and which to shun. If a site keeps putting out lies and clickbait at a certain point it will gain a negative reputation and get ostracized. Collectively we have to grow up and not expect or call for governments and other organizations like the International Fact Checking Network to do our fact checking for us. We have to do it for ourselves. It's part of our spiritual journey to be able to mature to the point where we can discern truth from lies. When enough of us can do that, the world will know peace. For as Julian Assange says, if lies are used to start war, then truth can be used to start peace. As I said, you know, the, the conversation I had with my friend uh, really got me thinking about what are the the biases that we all bring to the table in in general and also got me looking and and kind of checking to see you know how well i do at keeping you know my biases at least an, an objective you know distance away from what i present here on fire it up i try to and i try very hard to be nonpartisan. um i try not to you know let my particular politics Uh, get in the way of providing all of you with the information uh, and resources you need to make your own informed decisions. As I say you know quite often you know we we all need to as the article says you know dig deeper we all need to dig deeper and dig wider we need to find out the truth for ourselves we need to listen to as many different sides of the story as we can but at the end of the day you know we have to go where the preponderance of facts take us you know and if, if the the idea that the information and counts on uh covid cases and and fatalities uh are suspect then you know do we really know what the impact of this illness is if the sources that are providing us the information um, are not you know, well grounded in facts, if we can't verify what they are telling us, uh, if those truths are being hidden from us, then we have a major problem because, you know, there's no basis for the reality in which we have to exist. Now, you might ask, why do I consider this a problem? Well, uh, I- if you've ever tried to convince or have a discussion or debate with someone uh, from a, a different political party than you, or, you know, a, a different point of view than you, and each of you are equally entrenched in your own perspective, then you, you understand that no matter what argument you give, that it, it really doesn't make a difference in changing an attitude of the person that you're having the conversation with. When you uh, amplify that, you know, to a, a state level or a national level, Uh, you can see where we come to this point of the the divide we find ourselves, uh, one of the things that it is rooted in, that we have entrenched individuals on each side of the issue, both believing 100% that their version of the facts are the correct version of the facts, and neither side making perhaps a a full-throated effort to find the core facts at at the base of both of their perspectives and then comparing those uh you know you can you know take any of the current you know hot topic news issues of the day uh coming out of washington dc and go around through not only the major media outlets uh but also check in with your local media outlets check in with your local news see where they stand what are their editorial positions are. What are the local newspapers saying about these issues? Uh, the more you dig into it, uh, the more you will find that there are are very uh, subtle uh, yet distinct differences in how the facts are presented. Uh, the angles that various outlets look at them uh, obviously come from uh, a perspective of their base, and nobody really has an, an indisputable lock on what the actual 100% bona fide fact is. Um, you know, and, and this, is, this is something that has grown uh, over the decades uh, and has been fed by the divides uh, on politics in this country and now is something where it, it has gotten so much uh, and so widespread and, and, and so much embedded in our information culture that oftentimes it's, it's just about impossible to get back to, well, what was the actual fact of this? Uh, it's been spun so many times that we really just lose track of what the raw fact is. And that's a dangerous thing. We need to make sure that you know, we, we are diligent in looking and working and digging to get to the truth of the issues that matter to us. Uh, we need to make sure we do this so that we are in the best position possible to hold our elected officials and our leaders uh... whether it's local state or federal into proper account for how they are approaching the issue you know we, we can we can go into discussions about whether or not you know another twelve hundred dollar stimulus check needs to be issued to you know, every man woman and child in the united states right away or whether that's too expensive and it's going to impact the deficit. You know, you can get into all of these uh, arguments and lose track of the core fact that, you know, people in this country are hurting and they need our government to help. They need, you know, money, they need resources, they need access in order for them to, to secure just the basic needs of everyday life. But we can get so wound up in the politics of how that uh, is gonna be done that nothing gets done. And you know, that seems to be the cycle that we're in right now, where you know, both sides are arguing from their constituent standpoints and really not paying attention uh, and, and, and addressing the core needs of the people of this country who are impacted by this pandemic. You know we're, we're looking at you know 50 something million people out of work we're looking at a, you know 3.8 million people who have been you know infected with this disease and 141,000 people who have died from this disease and even now the arguments are being made as to whether or not those numbers are factual well you know right now we have to I, 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 I shudder to say it we have to kind of take it On faith and belief that the organization that is giving us this information is in fact trustworthy and objective. Uh, Right now that information is coming from the Centers for Disease Control however just within the past week uh, the White House has begun pressuring uh, to get the data on the number of you know infections and the number of deaths you know reported directly to, you know, the Health and Human Services Department which, in in some sense, oversees the CDC, but the CDC is an independent operating arm of HHS and, you know, works uh, and gathers its information independently without a, a political bias. So, what happens if the CDC is no longer the repository of the number of people who become infected or the number of people who die it goes to an agency that has a political basis to it what can happen to those numbers you know if you know, all things good in a in a in a pure and perfect world nothing would change the numbers would be reported as they come in from the hospitals they would be gathered up at the state level the states would report it up to HHS and HHS would give us a fair and accurate count of the numbers but if there was an intention to, uh, to skew the numbers or to spin the numbers because of a political bias or a political agenda, you can begin to see how that can create problems. I mean, we already have an administration that is, is arguing that the, the uh, coronavirus is overblown That the number of cases isn't factual, that the number of deaths is lower than what's been reported, you know, that, you know, there are political reasons why a less devastating pandemic uh, benefits one party or the other party uh, in, you know, from an election standpoint, you know, four months out from the national election. So, Again as I always say we need to to look at this with that third eye we need to look at listen to it with that third ear and you know dig down and find the facts find out what's real and if you know the the numbers coming are, are going to be reported through HHS, uh, we are more likely to see a more politically stabilized report uh, on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic than than we have to date now you know uh, and of course you know we need look no further than statements that come out of the White House to to state that the increased number of tests the more we test uh, the more COVID-19 disease is created well you know obviously that is scientifically not true but you know that's the kind of Of information that we face getting on a daily basis if we allow the information on this to become politicized uh, even more than it already is. At least we have the the value of knowing that we can go to the Centers for Disease Control website or the National Institutes of Health you know websites or, or research to find out what the numbers are Uh, on the ground what's being reported by the hospitals and you know then we can take what we're being told by our politicians with the appropriate number of grains of salt so you know it it, it's a long way around to say you know we need to be constantly vigilant and making sure that while we acknowledge that we all have our own biases and perspectives and approaches to things that we're aware of it that we take it into account and that we try as best we can to maintain an objective and open mind now I will I will say that again uh, you know as as a result of the conversation I had and it was a really great conversation you know I I really appreciated talking with him I haven't talked to him for a while but um, it, it really made me stop and think and look at myself in in particular because I do this show that I I need to redouble my efforts to try and be even more objective uh, than than I've I've been in the past, and you know try and be extra vigilant in keeping you know whatever you know biases and, and leanings I have uh, away from providing you with, with a factual uh, set of information and and material for you to digest and make your decisions from so i you know i recommit to that and that's what this show is about uh and uh hopefully you know it it, things will get better so um the last thing i want to just touch on is and and it's kind of related um there was an article in vanity fair magazine that came out uh on and actually came out in the mid-june Uh, But I was doing some research on, you know, voter suppression and this this popped up and, you know, it it really just talks about uh, something that the president uh, is concerned about. And the article headline says Trump, yeah, Trump's 2020 strategy. It would really help if fewer people voted. And it just speaks to, you know, what I've talked about many times on this show is the active effort at voter suppression that is going on by the current party in power uh to to restrict the number of people that can vote in the upcoming election by a wide variety of means and you know this has been an ongoing uh process for many decades you know we've talked about the southern strategy uh uh, quite a few times we've talked about the various tactics of voter suppression whether it's it's closing down polling places or moving them to uh, less accessible locations or just reducing the numbers as we saw in many of the primaries that occurred this year you know and we just need to make sure that you know we are paying attention to this that if we disagree with it if if we are against it if we see the the danger of it that know we are taking appropriate action to call our elected officials and our officials in charge of elections to account and make sure that uh, they are doing you know things in a, an upstanding and correct way so you know again a, as always you know you got to make sure that your voter status is is solid that everything is upright and you've got all the information that it's correct you've got to be prepared to reach out and and get ready for the vote coming in November. Um, a lot of states have early deadlines to apply for uh, absentee or mail-in ballots uh, and, and a few states still have restrictions in place on who can get an absentee ballot or who can you know who can get a, 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 uh, a mail-in ballot so you need to verify that with your state election board and if it's available in your state then you need to make sure that you have it in time to meet the deadline to vote because you know as we found in in the recent primary elections uh counting the absentee and mail-in ballots is uh, creates some delay in getting the results of the elections so when we ramp that up to the scale of the national election uh we can we can see where the the normal idea that you know you stay up till 2 in the morning you'll find out who your president's going to be that may not be the case it may be a week later before we find out who actually won the vote uh, and will trigger the resulting uh, electoral college uh, decision on the final winner of the 2020 election so make sure you get that out there and get that done also don't forget the census is going on please make sure that if you have not already responded to the census go to the um, 2020census.gov website and complete the census. I did it. It takes about eight minutes. Uh, It's real easy. It doesn't ask any personal identifying information. It only seeks to determine you know who you are, how many people live in your household, and so forth. So please make sure you get the census done. It's vitally important not only for uh, the, the, the boundaries for the House of Representatives, but it also, uh, directs federal dollars that go to our hospitals, our schools, our roads, and, and other local programs that the current virus is proving that we need so desperately. So, that's going to wrap it up for this week. As always, uh, thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Uh, if you have questions or comments, please send an email to the station, uh, email address and that's fired up radio at yahoo.com uh, I will be tweeting and posting out information from my Facebook page and my Twitter page uh, and the Facebook page is facebook.com firedupradio and I tweet out of at r u fired up that's A-R-E the letter U fired up that's my Twitter handle so there'll be information coming out uh, stay in touch again send me emails. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks. Everybody, please stay safe, protect yourself, and I look forward to speaking with you again in seven days. Take care, everybody. Stay safe.